from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, April 9th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Ahead in this hour, we have a Sonics update. Kevin Garnett, he's having a pretty good week, I'd say. Basketball Hall of Fame. Great quotes. And in an interview with the Associated Press yesterday, dropping... Uh, the idea that he'd love to see the NBA return to Seattle and he'd love to be a part of bringing it back to Seattle. We'll discuss that. Also in this hour, we get to hear from Bobby Wagner joining First Take yesterday. The Seahawks making a move as well, re-signing backup guard Jordan Simmons. All ahead in this hour, plus pretty cool, pretty cool gesture by Isaiah Thomas as well. It's all ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Kevin Garnett, as I mentioned, having a pretty good week, right? The big ticket was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame, along with Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and WNBA star Tamika Catchings. And he was speaking with the Associated Press in a wide-ranging interview, covered a lot, including how he feels about being elected to the Hall of Fame, his relationship with Kobe Bryant, how special that was, uh, his competitive nature, plus everything that's going on globally right now with the coronavirus pandemic plus his plans for the next five to 10 years. He's a very creative type and it's got his hands in a lot of different things, but he revealed that he'd love to see the NBA return to Seattle and he would love to be a part of bringing a team here if he could. The quote is, if I have a dream, I would say that I would love to be able to go and buy the Seattle Supersonics and reactivate the Pacific Northwest. Seattle was huge to our league. I would love to be able to do that that's what's up. If there's one thing I could do tomorrow, it would be that. It's pretty incredible, pretty powerful words, especially from someone who is so much in the spotlight right now. Garnett played in 27 games in Seattle during his NBA career, and we'll keep you posted on any further updates on that. Of course, now they would be potentially playing in a brand new arena uh, here in key potentially but we'll see the Seahawks also making a move yesterday re-signing backup guard Jordan Simmons 25 year old Simmons undrafted back in 2017 out of USC and uh, spent his rookie season in Oakland on the Raiders practice squad then was claimed off waivers by Seattle prior to 2018 Simmons played well in three starts that year before spending last season on injured reserve. He started those three games in 2018 because DJ Fluker was injured and even made his NFL debut in his hometown of Los Angeles. Remember, that one was a pretty special day for him. The Seahawks also happened to rush 273 yards against the Rams that day. Not bad. Unfortunately, Simmons missed 2019 due to a knee injury that landed him on IR. He became an unrestricted free agent earlier this month when the Seahawks declined to tender him as an exclusive rights-free agent, but now re-signing him back. Brady Henderson of ESPN saying that you can expect this deal to include a split salary, which would give the Seahawks cap relief if Simmons does get injured again. That wouldn't have been an option had they tendered him as an an exclusive rights free agent. 
Yesterday, we were able to hear a little bit from Bobby Wagner. Always love hearing from him. One of the kindest and wisest people uh, I've ever chatted with in the locker room. But also talking on first take uh, about what the prognosis is for this season and just saying that as of right now, there's so much that is still unknown. I kind of feel like we kind of with the rest of the world, we, we don't know necessarily uh, what's going on or uh, where it's going to be. I think we have a little bit more faith uh, with our sport because we're not starting until August. But with all things considered, we really don't know. Um, guys just got to work out and be ready uh, with professionals. And so whenever they say it's time to go, we got to be ready to go. But um, you know, I think there's a lot more important things right now, like you said, family, health, uh, the world uh, versus the season. But, you know, I'm confident that um, we'll figure this out by then. Bobby Wagner also on the prospect of playing without fans, even in the fall, if if that continues. Here's Bobby. Obviously, you thought about it. Um, it's going to be weird, especially for us. You know, we feel like our fans, you know, provide a huge advantage. But obviously, we got to be safe. Um, but it's a long time from now. So it's kind of hard. Uh, to figure out whether or not that's going to be the case. Um, I think a lot of everybody's trying to figure out what the new normal is going to be once everything is lifted. And so, um, you know, I'm hoping the fans will get there, but, you know, I feel like we got to do the right thing, the smart thing to kind of control this and make sure this is not something that we're dealing with for a long period of time. Bobby Wagner, though, with all this uncertainty, does feel confident about the Seahawks. And I thought this was really cool, said that the offense is doing phenomenal, but, they have room for improvement on defense. This wouldn't be the narrative that you would have heard a couple years ago when defensive players spoke out about the defense versus offense. So here's Bobby. I feel really confident. Um, obviously, you know, Russell is an amazing quarterback. You know, the things that he does on, on the field is just amazing. Um, like you said, he's one of the greatest, uh, you know, quarterbacks in our game. And, you know, we're confident on that side. I feel like from a defensive standpoint, um, there's a lot of, room for improvement. You know, we have to play a little bit better. Um, you know, I feel like if we make those changes and, and, and make those improvements, um, I still feel like we, we will be the team to beat. You know, first we got to win the MC West, which I feel like we're confident that we're going to do, and then we move on from there. But, you know, those guys have great teams, uh, but at the end of the day, it's just paper. You know, it's uh, you got to prove it on the field. Um, also yesterday, Ugo Amadi joining, joining 710 ESPN Seattle and talked about how – as a youngster, he was scared to make mistakes on defense last year. I feel like, especially on defense, the opportunity I got, um, I feel like the opportunity I got, I feel like every time I every time I got on the field, I, I never wanted to make a mistake. And now that I made a mistake, I can play a lot faster now because I, I feel like I was playing a lot timid. You know, when I see things, I wouldn't go right away like I did in college. But I feel like with that year under my belt, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be able to react instead of think, then react. I'd rather react first, you know, and I was just trying to play everything safe, you know. And um, but I feel like next year, that'll give me a lot more confidence to, to be a lot more aggressive, especially on defense. Ugo Amadi did say, though, that he was really happy with his performance on special teams last season. Just needs to be a little uh, less afraid to make those mistakes on defense. Bobby Wagner also talking on first take about a couple other topics, including how to predict players that will rise beyond just film study. Uh, I think, honestly, it's, you know, about film. Like, what do they put on film? And then once you get past the film, whether you like the way the guy plays or not, it's about heart and how much are they dedicated to the game. You know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, once they get to the league, they, they get the, the money, they get the everything else that comes with the game. They don't they don't keep their focus. 
And, you know, I think it's it's going to be a unique situation, too, because I feel like a lot of the times when you get a situation where you watch 40 or watch a guy jump, that's what you basically, you know, draft him off of those numbers. But you forget that the film is the most important thing. So this could be a situation where um, maybe some guys get passed up, maybe some guys get taken higher. But um, I think the film will show, um, you know, what team were able to do their scouting uh, during this time. Bobby Wagner also on the issues he had with the recent CBA. I just felt, honestly, there was a, a rush. Uh, felt like, um, you know, the way some of the guys got the information, just, you know, to it's not a lot of guys that read 465 pages, um, you know, let alone a whole CBA. And so I felt like the process was rushed. I felt like the guys didn't have all the information that they needed to really make a vote. A lot of the guys that I spoke with um, voted before even um, – you know, reading it or talking to someone. So, um, you know, that was kind of where it started with me. Um, obviously, player safety was a big, big deal for me. Um, but I just feel my main concern, my main reason was just felt like it was rushed. And, um, you know, I don't think, you know, when we were getting all the information, uh, we didn't get everything we should have gotten to make a, a clear vote. The NFC West has been pretty dominant division uh, the past couple of years and now looks like it will be as well with things going on in Arizona the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins and the trade that had everyone baffled but Bobby Wagner on his assessment of actually Jimmy Garoppolo and in San Francisco what they've got going on yeah I think he's a good quarterback you know I think he's um, made a lot of strides I know a lot of people counting him out after his injury so for him to come back and, and play the way he did um, you definitely have to tip your hat off to him. And so, you know, I feel like he, he you know, when he makes good reads, he gets the ball out of his hands pretty quick. Um, he's able to obviously lead that, that team to a victory. So it's a guy you have to respect. Coming up next on the Blitz, the NFL draft is proceeding as planned, at least date-wise. It will be all virtual. Uh, Brock Heward on some of the draft prospects that people might be invested in locally, plus some of the safety precautions that the NFL is implementing because John Harbaugh scared of like what security might uh, breaches might happen and how the NFL will come combat that, including one way that just seems puzzling. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, April 9th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. The NFL draft will proceed on April 23rd through the 25th this month, but it will be entirely virtual. Most of us, we've done, you know, a fantasy virtual draft, but this is quite different for a lot of people. And the way that it will look, how it will run logistically, a lot of it's still unknown. Teams will be forced to conduct the draft from their homes due to the isolation guidelines by health professionals to promote social distancing during the coronavirus pandemic. Meanwhile, the NFL has been working on testing Internet connections, installing safety safeguards to ensure that tech issues don't result in huge problems like missed picks or insufficient time to make trades. That's been a huge concern by a lot of people that we will see a drop off in those trades, including Pete Carroll on Sirius XM radio earlier this week, said that with everything that goes into making those trades, um, 
and how time sensitive it is. He could see there being less during this draft. League sources say there'll be multiple tests of the system prior to the draft itself and that the NFL is planning to build several safeguards to cover teams in the in the event that a home internet connection cuts out or some other tech glitch affects the team's pick. But what will those safeguards be? Well, one will include being on a conference call with all 32 teams that will be in progress throughout the draft. So, Let's say a GM is hooked up to a call that via landline to that call via landline, his internet connection cuts out. He would be able to unmute the conference call and announce his pick via that, uh, in which every other team could hear it. Email is another option that they will suggest uh, will have for sending in picks if the live online connection encounters glitches. But for most people, email requires internet, or maybe sometimes you can get it through your. Uh, through your cellular data on your cell phone, but a lot of times that does require internet connection. And my question too is, we know somebody's going to leave themselves off mute, right? That's just, it's going to happen. 32 teams expected to keep themselves on mute on this conference call throughout the entirety of the draft. Someone's going to slip up at some point, and could we get some really interesting audio out of that? Probably. As of now, the league is not considering adding time for teams to make picks despite all of these differences, everything going on, Uh, nor is it likely that the league will take the suggestion of Steelers GM Kevin Colbert to give teams additional picks. Probably not going to happen, but sources said the league would be flexible in allowing teams that were working on trades to have enough time to complete those trades, even if tech issues delayed them. So what does that entail? We don't know quite exactly yet, but if more details emerge, we'll keep you posted. Courtney Cronin uh, talking about how front offices will be unsure of how trades will get done. It keeps getting brought to my attention is the trade aspect. Are we going to see less trades? Because how do you execute them if you have the general manager in one spot, the assistant GM in another spot, the cap guy, et cetera, et cetera. Who's answering the phones? Like, do they have that part delegated? Because usually it's not just the general manager who's picking up every phone saying, hello, Minnesota Vikings, can I take your order? That's, you know, how does that communication factor happen when you're on the clock and you're trying to get everything, your ducks squared away? I think the communication factor is going to be, continue to be the biggest concern. Also, Courtney Cronin bringing up the, uh, the idea that undrafted free agents are going to be hurt a lot this year. Once rounds one through seven are done, undrafted free agency is a process. And I think that there's been some talks behind the scenes about trying to get a little bit more time to do that because once round seven wraps up and the general manager will come down and talk to you as media about what they did, scouts, the assistant GM, everybody in the front office, they're trying to assemble their 10 players that they're about to sign for as an undrafted class, and that takes a lot of work. So I think that college free agency is going to take a big hit this year. As for the Seahawks, Pete Carroll said they'll be ready. Despite all these challenges, they'll be prepared. They're viewing it as, yes, another competition and always compete. Brock Ewart on 710 ESPN Seattle speaking about pass rushers specifically. Obviously, that's a need for the Seahawks, but addressing it in the draft is pretty difficult considering the drop-off that happens. Uh, here is Brock Heward on not a lot of twitchy guys being in the draft. The next guy is the is the kid out of L- LSU. He's really young. I believe he's only a true junior. Chason is the last name, and he is super twitchy. And to me, Dave, that's what I'm 
I'm looking for. I think the Seahawks D-line and Rasheem Green and L.J. Collier and bringing Bruce Irvin back, Benson Mayo, uh, the personnel you have, Brandon Jackson for that matter too, you just don't have that electric burst, that electric speed. Exactly. You know, I, you hear people say twitch, right? He's so twitchy. He's just so explosive. To me, that's who you're looking for, and that's not Epinesa. Uh, to me, that's not necessarily Gross Matos, a kid out of Penn State. You know, this draft doesn't have a ton of them. Really, after Chase on, I think there's a big, significant step down. As for a couple of local uh, hopefuls, draft hopefuls, Anthony Gordon and Jacob Eason, while they won't be able to do the normal pre-draft process and things might look very different for them, according to Brock. You know, I think Jacob has been probably, well, actually both of them, because Gordon was only a one-year starter. So I think both of those guys in a perfect world, Jim, would have loved this month of April to go take visits to teams to go travel and I think both of them would have been called a bunch and would have been brought out to a bunch of different places for for that matter to sit down and talk to them and address as you said some of the processing that that Jacob struggled with really at two places at Georgia and at Washington for for Anthony to talk about you know Wazoo and to talk about that experience and sitting behind the guys he sat behind which you know give give them those guys credit Luke Falk's been in the NFL and obviously Gardner Minshew was a was a stud last year as for free agency right now, Brock, also with some thoughts on what the Seahawks have done with Jadevian Clowney. Right now, without Clowney, it's probably a C plus. You know, I think if you sign Clowney, especially at a number that is so much more favorable today than it was a month ago in many of our expectations, I think you could probably bump that to a B plus. And then ultimately, if there's anything left in the kitty for, you know, another safety that could still be on the market or another linebacker or another edge rusher, uh, Michael Kendricks, I would love to have back at maybe a league minimum number. So, you know, I, I think you could bump up above that. But right now, without clowning, to me, it's about a C plus. Let's get it up to the B range, please. C makes me uncomfortable. Brock Heward yesterday on 710 ESPN. Seattle coming up next on the Blitz. John Morosi also joining station yesterday. His thoughts on MLB's initial plan that leaked, talking about potentially bringing back baseball by May at the earliest living in a biosphere of sorts in Arizona. What are his thoughts? It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, April 9th. The draft coming up sooner than we think. We'll hear from Brock Heward more on that later in the hour on his thoughts. Plus, uh, Ugo Amadi here in just a minute on why he felt that he was too afraid to make some mistakes last year. And that sort of hindered him on reaching his full potential. But first, uh, MLB came out, or at least a plan was leaked uh, earlier this week by Jeff Passan. He had the story up on ESPN. Also, the Associated Press had some of this. Uh, talking about this plan the MLB had to bring baseball back by May, as early as May, but it would require all teams, all 30 teams, playing games in the greater Phoenix area in somewhat of a biosphere, living in relative isolation. John Morosi, who does an incredible job, joining Bob David Moore yesterday to chat about the actual feasibility of this plan. Are you in favor of it, John? Because it, it feels like it presents a few problems if you play the entire season, however long that may be. First of all, we don't know how many games that would be. 
Um, it gets incredibly hot in Arizona during the summer, as everybody is aware of, so that could be problematic. And then just the idea of exposing, you know, people that aren't just the players, but, you know, the umps and the security and the people that need to be there in a setting like that to the virus. How, how do you feel about that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I am fine with them talking about it. I am totally fine with MLB and the union working through different scenarios because, Right now, that's what they should be doing, in addition to social distancing. They should be thinking about what the league could look like this year, how many games, where, and under what circumstances. And in terms of do I support the plan itself, I, I think I will join the chorus of those, including many players who have spoken out publicly about it this week, and say it all depends on where we are in a month. And or two months, depending on uh, when this actually gets put into play. I, I, I would uh, preface this by saying you think about where we are today, and a month ago on this date, we had not yet witnessed the Rudy Gobert positive test that basically brought the sports world down in that one Wednesday night. That was That was less than a month ago. And so when you think about how our world has changed, certainly how the country has changed, in less than a month, uh, if if anybody knows exactly where we're going to be in a month, uh, I I would love to hear that story because I don't think anybody does. We're all we're all just doing a lot of hoping and a lot of guessing and a lot of trusting of the health officials and the governmental officials. And, and I think that to me is where a lot of this is going to lie. We're going to have to see where is the curve uh, of cases in Arizona, where is the curve of cases for the whole country, where are we with testing. Where are we with possibly a treatment? Um, all these different boxes must be checked and, and, and really thought through thoroughly. What's the hospital capacity like around the country? Have we done any meaningful steps, broadly speaking, in the next month to address that uh, issue where, where there's a bed shortage in, in so many places around the country? So it, it's, it is such a multi-layered issue, uh, but I am, in principle, comfortable with it being discussed because that's what should be done by our leaders right now. We should be thinking about creative ways to get the game back on the field when it is safe to do so. And I really think it, it almost is a, is a two-track thing. There should be the sports conversation and then loop that back into the national governmental health care conversation to say, okay, is this actionable right now? If no, just we'll regroup and, and then move down the road a little bit further. I, I just think it's going to have to be a very, very fluid conversation for so many different reasons. John Morosi, full interview available on 710sports.com under the podcast tab. Uh, on with Bob David Moore and also chatting about potential changes we might see to MLB if and when they do return. And keeping in mind, this might be an opportunity for them to test out some things that they wanted to see down the line anyway, including the use of an electronic strike zone and trying out perhaps some seven inning games uh, in those double headers that they might need to play in in order to get as many games in this, as possible this season. Yesterday as well on Tom, Jake and Stacy, Ugo Amadi joining the crew to chat about what he learned in his rookie season and what it's like to play for the Seattle defense. Yeah, so tell us, look, we know that the whole world right now is essentially under quarantine or has been under quarantine. You know, you guys, it happens to fall in your off season. Normally, I'd ask you what you're doing to prepare for the season. But right now, I'm just going to ask you, what are you up to? Um, who, who are you with right now and how are you getting through this stuff? 
um, right now I'm with my family, and um, I've been just trying to train as much as possible that I can. A lot of stuff has been shut down, you know, due to, like, a large group of people. And um, now I'm kind of, like, making stuff out of nothing, you know. Just like how I used to work out in high school, use, like, the backyard now. You know, everybody used to be working out indoors and everything. And um, me and my family, we're just hanging in there, you know. Hopefully this goes uh, goes uh, past and, you know, we're able to go back to our normal lives like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, we sit here, we're all wanting live sports, Hugo. We're, 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 you know, watching all these old games, old football games, old baseball games. I'm curious, have you gone back at all and watched some of your games from last year uh, just to, you know, whether it's to watch tape on yourself or the team or anything like that? Yeah, I've been watching myself. I've been watching a lot of classic Super Bowls, too. Um, it's, it, I think it's kind of a good thing, too, because – you kind of look back at what happened in the past and how things have changed to what it looks like now. And it's kind of like a shocker to like what, what type of good players there were back then that's not talked about today and all type of stuff. It's just crazy. It's a good feeling too. Ugo, what was looking back at last year, what is something that you felt like you walked away from the season, your rookie year and said, man, I'm so glad that I learned this and this is going to help propel me to be an even better player come next season? Um, I feel like, um, especially on defense, the opportunity I got, um, I feel like the opportunity I got, I feel like every time I every time I got on the field, I, I never wanted to make a mistake. And now that I made a mistake, I could play a lot faster now because I, I feel like I was playing a lot timid. You know, when I see things, I wouldn't go right away like I did in college. But I feel like with that year under my belt, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be able to react instead of think then react. I'd rather react first, you know. And I was just trying to play everything safe, you know. And um, but I feel like next year that'll, that'll give me a lot more confidence to, to be a lot more aggressive, especially on defense, special teams. Um, I was shocked. I didn't think I was gonna be able to do what I did on special teams this season. Um, like I did it in college, but I wasn't doing what I was doing in college that I'm doing now. So I was actually shocked at what I was able to do because honestly. During camp, I was barely getting any reps. And I feel like that Vikings uh, play I made in preseason really set the tone for my season and, you know, uh, uh, put a, a ear in the, uh, put a, a voice in the coach's ear that I could actually, uh, you know, be a, a serious threat on special teams. Ugo Amadi on with Tom Jake and Stacey. Full interview available at 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, we've heard plenty of thoughts from the professional sports leagues on when a return might be possible. But also the NCAA has a specific set of concerns. A lot of coaches have been vocal this week uh, about a possible return. Mike Gundy earlier this week, yesterday, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban weighing in, as well as Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. We'll hear from them. It's next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Cam Newton, in a chat earlier this week, admitted that he feels like he's in uncharted waters for the first time in his career, now being a free agent. Meanwhile, in, back with the Panthers, head coach Matt Rule 
on moving on from Cam and why they felt it was necessary to do so. I just think that, you know, we felt in the end it was the best thing for our team to, to sort of, to sort of move forward. And I have no doubt that he'll play well. I mean, he, he's a great quarterback. We've all seen the things that he's done. I just think as we move forward, we thought that, you know what, this was the right time for us. We saw the opportunity to get Teddy really felt like, you know what, he, he was the right fit for us. And so I went ahead and made that, you know, made that call, not an easy call, but you know, one that we thought was the best thing for us moving forward. Cam still uh, looking for a home as of now. After his 17th year in the league, which was potentially an all-timer, came to a halt, LeBron James told reporters yesterday in a conference call that it would be hard to accept uh, a season, this season, without an ending. Closure, no. But to, to be proud of what we've been able to accomplish to this point, I'll be able to look back and be like, okay, you did something special in that small period of time said it would feel like a lack of closure. Uh, LeBron James, too, on the possibility of playing without fans. You know, at that point in time, it was all uh, white hot. We needed, we needed every fan in there for game six and game seven uh, to be able to come back and, and just put on a performance like we did in those two games versus an unbelievable team in San Antonio Spurs. So being able to just remember it and understanding how without our home fans, who knows what happens. But to come into present day, to answer your question, if you know, if it comes to a point where we're playing without our fans, we still know that we have labor faithful with us. Spirit, you know, they'll be home cheering us on, online, uh, on their phones, on their tablets, watching us. You know, hopefully we can bottle that energy that we know we're getting from them. We can bottle that, that loyalty that they have for, you know, not only this year, but, you know, since the Lakers have been in Los Angeles. So um, hopefully we're able to channel that channel that energy, channel that, uh, that focus and, and bring them uh, with us if we're, I'm either at Staples without fans or we're somewhere um, in an isolated location of playing game basketball. LeBron, too, speaking on trying to be a leader during this crisis. I have not. I have not had any direct communication with Adam Silver on, you know, what's the next step. Obviously, I believe the, the league and our front offices and, and the owners have been having more of the conversations than anybody on what the next step should be. Um, for me, as a player... One of the leaders of the franchise, it's my job right now to make sure that our guys stay engaged, stay optimistic, uh, stay positive about us getting back on the floor. But understanding what's most important right now is having the help of our of our American and everyone that's in America, you know, and also in the world. And us trying to figure out, not us personally, but the people at the higher ranks, figure out how we can get through this um, because it's all challenging times for all of us. So that, that, that's what's most important. Once we get that handled and get a handle on that thing, we can all start moving forward, not only getting the game of basketball back, but getting sports back and getting, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to discredit other jobs too, people in the restaurant business, people in the hotel business, people in their, their local business, getting their businesses back because they're losing so much as well with what's going on. So everyone are in a position right now where we're all trying to figure out what's best, but we know I think we can all agree that we know at the end of the day, the well-being and the health of all of us is what's most important. And when we get that under control, then we can tackle everything else. Meanwhile, uh, Dana White, USC president, moving ahead with the April 18th date scheduled for UFC 249. He was on Get Up yesterday and talked about keeping that April 18th date. The support has been great, too, from the uh, from the fans and, and, and from the fighters. The fighters want to compete. Nobody's competing in this event that doesn't want to compete. And, uh, you know, I, I've been set on this date. I, I postponed three of my shows, and I said that I was going to go April 18th. 
on where UFC 249 will be held. Uh, Dana White still tight-lipped on that. One last time, Saturday, April 18th, UFC 249 on ESPN. And again, coming live from where? Oh, it's coming live from ESPN on ESPN+. Plus. That's the only thing that matters and the only thing you need to know. Yep, said he uh, won't release that location as of now, but also did say that he bought an island or is in the process of buying an island and infrastructure being built to conduct future fights. We're still working on getting that deal done, um, which we'll have done this week. And uh, yeah, so if I keep putting on fights only in the United States with United States talent, I'll run through all my talent very quickly. Uh, You know, this is a global sport. We do lots of fights internationally, and we had a lot of fights scheduled internationally. Those will continue. I have an island that we can fly everybody right into, uh, hopefully by, like, mid-May. So for international flights, Dana White, UFC president, planning on buying an island uh, for that. The Seahawks re-signed backup guard Jordan Simmons, 25-year-old Simmons, undrafted back in 2017 out of USC, then spent his rookie year in Oakland on the practice squad, claimed off waivers by Seattle prior to 2018, and played well in three starts when he started in place of an injured DJ Fluker that year, including making his NFL debut in his hometown of L.A. The Seahawks also rushed for 273 yards against the Rams. Not a bad debut for Jordan. He missed 2019, unfortunately, due to a knee injury that landed him on IR and became an unrestricted free agent earlier this month when the Seahawks declined to tender him as an exclusive rights free agent. Now, according to Brady Henderson of ESPN, you can expect that his deal will include a split salary, which would give the Seahawks some cap relief if Simmons uh, gets injured again, a little bit of protection there. That wouldn't have been an option had they tendered him as an exclusive rights free agent. Tom Brady was on Howard Stern yesterday, a very long interview. I think it was like two hours long, uh, talking about a whole bevy of topics, including the concept and topic of legacy. You know, our time was, was coming to an end. I never cared about legacy. I mean, I, I could give a about That's never, I never once when I was in high school said, man, I can't wait for my what my football legacy looks like. I mean, that's a very... It's just not me. That's not my personality. So why would I choose a different place? It's because it was just time. I don't know what to say other than that. Like I had done everything. I accomplished everything I could in two decades with an incredible organization, incredible group of people, and that will never change. Tom Brady also said that he believes he wouldn't be who he is or where he is without his uh, former head coach, Bill Belichick, but he also said that he thinks that goes both ways. And then also admitted he didn't attend OTAs the last two years because Giselle was a little unhappy with his work-home-life balance. You know, and she felt like I would play football all, all season and she would take care of the house. And then all of a sudden when the season would end it, I'd be like, great, let me get into all my other business activities. Let me get into, you know, my football training. And she's sitting there going, well, when are you going to do things for, for, the, for the house? When are you going to take the kids to school and do that? Right. And that was a big part of our marriage that I would, I had to, like, check myself. Because she's like, I have goals and dreams, too. It's just not to, you know, do these things either. So you you better start, you know, taking care of things at the house. Balance. Shared partnership. There have been a lot of takes on when sports might return. And earlier this week, we heard Mike Gundy's 
belief that he could have potentially people back in the football building at Oklahoma State, head football coach there, by May 1st. Uh, He talked about in an interview, a conference call interview, how he believed as long as wide, uh, widely available testing was there, that that was reasonable. Now, Oklahoma State immediately came out and disputed that claim and said they were going to follow the guidelines of professionals in this time. But that's not the only comment uh, we've heard from coaches as of now. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M football coach, uh, talking about how football has a responsibility to play. You don't want to do that. There's no doubt. But I think we have to be willing to do everything. Because, like I say, it's not just football at stake. It's basketball. It's baseball. It's women's sports. All the spring sports, all the Olympic sports. I mean, there's a lot of bills that are paid through those. And those TV contracts are huge. And maybe at that time of the year, maybe the country needs that. I mean, sports is something that always pulls us together. And if maybe we have to go out there and sacrifice and play a game in front of a stadium with nobody, which we don't want to do, no one does. But if we have to do that, that's what we have to do. One, to generate the revenue for the school and the other sports and things that go on. And maybe for our country to have to be able to at least sit at home in their homes and watch a football game. This was on the Paul Feinbaum podcast and Jimbo speaking specifically to the prospect of playing without any fans in the stands, which might happen or could happen. It's a possibility this fall. Nick Saban also in an interview on Instagram with Maria Taylor, who I love talking uh, about the potential for practicing during the summer. Saban would like to see that. It's the, the time where we have the most concentrated contact because we have so many practices in a short period of time preparing for the season. I think making that longer would not help the concussions, the injuries, and all that type of thing. So doing something in the summertime uh, probably would be, I think, a better way to go. But Saban also said there's still so much unknown right now, and he's deferring to health professionals. also love this comment, too, that uh, one silver lining for Saban, while he's become a little more tech-savvy. Yeah, we do Zoom, we do FaceTime. I mean, this the one positive of this for me is I even have an email now. So... uh, you know, I've, I've come a long way. I was hard, you have. It was hard to communicate when you have to be by yourself and you always depend on somebody else to get your emails and messages <laughs> and all that. And it just didn't work. All right. And they were sending, they were sending them all to Miss Terry. All right. She mm-hmm. fired me. And she said, I'm not dealing with your stuff anymore. So I had to do it on my own. <laughs> I like it. You know, there are silver linings everywhere. Greg Sankey, though, SEC commissioner, also came out yesterday and said the virus will determine the timeline for return to college sports. The very direct, simple answer is the uh, Dr. Fauci comment that I credit her Vincent for putting in front of me. And that's, you know, we're not going to determine the timeline. The virus will determine the timeline. And you, you can see the developing information, uh, you know, just knowing what we know about science, how rapidly knowledge can develop there's still unknowns and we're going to rely um, exactly on our public health officials at the national level at the state levels and then around our campuses and communities to guide us to uh, return to what we have known as normal. Greg Sankey SEC commissioner did say they are preparing to start college football on Labor Day as of now. Former L.A. Rams players Todd Gurley and Clay Matthews claimed on Twitter that the Rams are a little behind on delivering some paychecks. Uh, Gurley wrote, at Rams NFL, pass due, send me money, ASAP. Matthews then retweeted that, adding, quote, you and me both, TG. Better get some interest with that, too. The Rams released Gurley and Matthews on March 19th. They believe they are in full compliance with the language of the players' contracts, according to the ESPN report, and the team declined to officially comment though we'll just keep a watch on that 
Kevin Garnett having a pretty big week. The big ticket elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame along with Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and WNBA star Tamika Catchings. He's also had some great interviews. And in one with the Associated Press yesterday, he revealed a big ambition for him that hits home with a lot of Seattle fans, revealed a deep affinity for the 206 and said if he could do one thing, quote, if I have a dream, I would say that I would love to be able to go and buy the Seattle Supersonics and reactivate the Pacific Northwest. Seattle was huge to our league. I would love to be able to do that. That's what's up. If there's one thing I could do tomorrow, it would be that. He played in 27 games in Seattle during his NBA career. And I don't know, just a a little uplifting a moment when a big, huge star, someone who's in the spotlight right now, has that much passion for it. Also, NBA player Isaiah Thomas, Tacoma native, former Washington Husky star, donating more than 1,000 meals to those in the UW Medical Center community impacted by COVID-19. This is pretty incredible. Going to donate those meals on two different dates at the three main UW Medical Center locations. So thank you, Isaiah Thomas, and thank you to all the uh, medical professionals out there who are on the front lines doing all of this, taking care of us all and making incredible sacrifices during this time. We're thinking of you. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.